Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to day nine of the Eurocopa podcast sponsored by Sling Latino. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us. In order to review today's two games, as well as preview Tuesday's games, I am joined by Kristen Hanaj, Karthik Krishnayar, and Sam Kelly. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Let's start with the reviews, guys. Panama versus Bolivia. Karthik, I think we should start with a stat. I know we kind of get stat obsessed, but I think this gives us an idea of what uh, was going on in this game. 35 fouls in the game at the 75th minute, and a lot more after that. So, uh, pretty feisty game. Yeah, very feisty game. Really uh, compelling game. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to the game. I was slated to cover this game. I got caught in the storm, which I think everybody saw uh, who watched around the world on television, uh, was present in Orlando today during uh, and in the state of Florida during during the match. So uh, I actually ended up uh, having to cancel my ticket formally uh, about 15 minutes before game time because I wasn't able to make it to the Citrus Bowl. But uh, that weather led to a very kind of chippy affair. Mm-hmm. It was cooler than it normally would be in the summer, cooler than I think any Copa game uh, in this tournament at this point maybe will be for the entire tournament. Temperatures were in the 70s Fahrenheit. Uh, it was it, it had rained all day, intense rain. Uh, you have a temporary pitch sitting over the turf at the Citrus Bowl, so uh, that turf that that temporary uh, grass pitch. Was holding up very well, but it, it created a a chippy atmosphere, uh, an urgency to score goals uh, early because we weren't sure when the next delay would come. The teams weren't uh, able to practice on the pitch, uh, do the sorts of things you normally do, the kind of walk through before a match. And there was a lot of pent up aggression. Uh, the players hadn't really gotten out before the match, so that was one of the factors. And then I think another important thing to note in in this match is knowing Chile and Argentina are the other two teams in this group, both Panama. And I mentioned before, I've mentioned many times on the show, Panama has a very good record on U S soil, uh, the best record of any CONCACAF nation outside the U S and Mexico, even though Costa Rica and Honduras uh, qualify for tournaments uh, for the world cup more regularly. Panama's never qualified for a right. world cup. Uh, Panama actually has a better record uh, in competitive matches on U S soil than any of uh, than Costa Rica or Honduras. So they, uh, they come into this with a little bit of confidence and they have Several players uh, who have either played in Major League Soccer in the past or are playing in Major League Soccer now. So um, they wanted to get after it. And we saw uh, Quintero, who plays for San Jose, and, and Blas Perez really get after uh, a, 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 after Bolivia in this game. But um, I think it was a chippy affair because uh, there was a lot of the, the weather, a lot of pent-up uh, uh uh, playing today, they didn't get get out and practice, and also because there was a fear that um, there would be a delay, a lightning delay, or a uh, another weather related delay in the middle of this match, and the players want to get out and and, and score goals early uh, before that delay comes, because once there's a delay, the whole dynamics of a match change, and in international tournaments, we, we tend to not want to see these. We see it at the club level all the time, right, where their mm-hmm. games get broken up, uh, there's a rain delay, 90 minutes, or lightning delay. Uh, but at the international level, very rarely uh, do uh, governing bodies want to see that happen. So they, they went ahead and played through, but there was that fear before the game. So uh, both teams were very aggressive. Chris, uh, talk to me about Blas Perez. Uh, given our uh, my admitted European bias, a player that I haven't really watched too much. Uh, his, I think the highlight 
uh, he's very well traveled, has played all over the place, including in, in Mexico at Pachuca, uh, recently at FC Dallas. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. So what did you see during his time at MLS um, that sold you on the striker? Because you actually talked about him uh, a fair amount in the preview. Yeah, I think what you can say about Blas Perez, one of the reasons I think FC Dallas let him go in the first place was he just wasn't mobile enough for them and what they needed because their attack is, it's all about pace, it's all about energy, it's all about movement. And look, he's well into his 30s. I think he'll be the first to admit he is not that mobile forward. Now, Vancouver found a home for him because I think they accepted they needed someone with his sort of poaching ability, his predatory instinct. And and we saw that really come to the fore today for Panama. And I think that's what you have to say about them as a national team, is they appreciate what he brings to the table and use that in a constructive way for their needs. I, I don't think it's a slight to say that he had to leave FC Dallas. I think it's just a, a bad fit at that point. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I think you have to contrast any credit you give to, to Panama is really, as, as we touched on in the preview, Bolivia will be whipping boys. Um, I, I can't see them doing any great shakes with with this tournament personally. The fact that uh, you know they they lose Moreno due to a dispute with the head coach and, and him <coughs> excuse me him some, not so much uh, retiring as, as kind of rejecting um, invitations to come similar to, to Giovanni dos Santos. When you when you lose a player of his caliber. And he is arguably one of the highest caliber players you've got. I think that speaks volumes to the position you're likely to find yourself in with all due respect to them. I I just think, again, you'll struggle to see Bolivia do anything of note in this tournament. And you contrast that with the fact that, again, Panama looks solid. But I can't can't see them making huge dents in it. I think they'll have moments, but I'm not sure if those moments will align enough to do anything significant. Let me just jump in for one more uh, point on Blas Perez. He was actually a designated player with Dallas. Uh, his contract expired, traded to Vancouver. Now he's under the maximum MLS salary. So part of his move was a was a salary dump. And th- those are the kind of nuances that only happen in MLS because of all these strange rules, myriad of rules. But uh, I, I agree with Chris. I think it, it was uh, it was more of a, a, a fit thing. And he's now a, a pretty good fit in Vancouver, actually. Yeah. So before I uh, move to Sam, I have to point out the fact that Chris was watching The Bachelor today, or Bachelorette, and uh, I will never podcast with you again because of it, Chris. Let's talk, Sam, about uh, about um, the fact that in multiple points in this game, I thought that Panama was able to open up Bolivia with a simple pass behind the fullback. And as Chris mentioned, the, the whipping boy thing, that that's the sort of schoolboy defending that that's one of the first things you learn even even playing college ball is that that's one of the most vulnerable areas uh on the inside of the fullback so very schoolboy defending from bolivia in that sense yeah absolutely um i mean bolivia have certain advantages i guess you you could um say with with regards to their conditioning obviously they most of them have essentially spent their entire lives doing high altitude training um, right. but you know, you, you can't really get very far beyond once they come down below high altitude venues, like obviously their home ground of, of La Paz, but also, um, one or two of the other stadia that they play away games in, um, in the South American qualifiers, such as, uh, when they play Ecuador in Quito, for instance, you know, if, if, if they come down below that altitude, if they come down anywhere near sea level, um, they're, they're hamstrung by just not being very good at football. Um, I feel awful saying it. I'd, I'd love them to get back up to the point that they were at, you know, the last time they were playing in a tournament on US soil in, in, in 94. Um, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, they, they have been among the whipping boys um, in, in the South American World Cup qualifying campaign for some time. They're more than capable in La Paz historic giants of South American football like Argentina and Brazil and Uruguay, uh, any one of those three teams, when, when they play an away World Cup qualifier in La Paz, uh, look on a draw as being a good result. Um, but when it comes to the, the reverse fixtures, uh, Bolivia frequently fail to impress. I mean, they often manage to you know lose by relatively narrow margins by just packing everybody behind the ball, um, particularly 
particularly against Argentina in in recent years. I think they they lost one nil or two one um, fairly recently in Buenos Aires in in, in the the most recent or or the last but one um, load of qualifiers. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially they just they're, they're not a very good football team. <laughs> yeah, Karthik, the amazing thing is that we we've said all this, but at the same time, had Romayo put a, put away that that header uh, right from the start from the kickoff after the <laughs> second goal the game would have ended as a tie. So very narrow margins, even though we've been giving Panama so much credit. Yeah, that's true. Very narrow margins. But again, uh, I think there's a a little bit of uh, sentiment for Panama in this tournament among fans in the United States, because there's just, there's this feeling that there was a great robbery last year on American soil uh, with, um, with Mark Geiger, Geiger, the official in that gold cup semifinal game against uh, Mexico. So I, I sensed that before, uh, this weather snafu prevented me from actually getting to the stadium in Orlando. But talking to people who were who were getting excited about this game, going to this game, uh, new, neutral fans, America, there seems to be uh, this this uh, uh, there might be you might see this in 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 the games against uh, Argentina and Chile, uh, two big teams that there there are Americans that are rooting for Panama, neutrals who are buying tickets who are following this tournament uh, because uh, one they're a Concacaf country and two because they feel like they there was a great injustice last year and I sensed that today in Orlando also that they had the crowd behind them and uh, they they probably will as long as they're alive in this tournament. Yeah. So, gentlemen, before we switch to talking about the, the game of the day, Argentina-Chile, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, SeatGeek. So one of my friends, uh, who will remain uh, nameless at this point, uh, asked me if I knew of tickets for uh, where she could get tickets for uh, tomorrow's game, the U.S. men's national team game in Chicago. Uh, and I said, well, that's funny you asked because uh, you should check out SeatGeek. And she did. And she actually found that... Uh, she was pretty excited by the fact that when she bought the tickets, they weren't the usual fees associated with those tickets that other uh, avenues of purchasing tickets charge you. So she was pretty excited about that. So what I love about SeatGeek and what she did was that they're always honest and upfront about the price. And they show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on, on that checkout page, which is something that we've all become accustomed to and almost expect at this point. So the thing is, this is how you can get those tickets. And I, and I think you should check it out because it's worth your time, especially if you're looking for tickets for the Copa or upcoming International Champions Cup, which will uh, kick off in a few weeks, uh, in a month or so, actually. Uh, and this is what you have to do. You're actually going to get a $20 rebate for your first SeatGeek purchase, which is awesome. And this is how you get it. So you step one, you download the free SeatGeek app. Step two. You go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Step three, enter promo code WSTPOD. And seat, uh, uh, step four, SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So go ahead and download that free SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today and buy some tickets and make sure you get to watch the incredible soccer that's on view uh, as we, we've been calling it, it is the summer of soccer, and we should all be watching some uh, wherever we are in, this, uh, in the United States. So, gentlemen, let's get back to talking about soccer now. And a uh, very exciting game between Argentina and Chile today. Uh, Chris, let me start with this. What I noticed uh, from an Argentina, I'm sure we're going to wax lyrical in some ways about Argentina, and you know, Sam will help us do that. But what I noticed today a lot were, uh, were a couple of things. They were very good with the ball on the ground, as we would expect with uh, with Argentina, uh, especially with all the overlapping fullbacks. Every time they played the ball into the middle on the ground, those balls almost always connected. Every time they actually tried to cross the ball, on the other hand, they almost never uh, connected and in, and in some cases actually went to the other side of the field. So talk to me about that. This is something that has become more apparent in the game uh, as we've gone along. Fullbacks tend, tend to send flatter crosses, uh, and, and the old school whipping cross, the bending cross has become more and more rare from fullbacks. Yeah, I think that's a, a very interesting point. It's, it's curious if you look at the emergence of, of Cameron Borthwick Jackson at Man United, how many people have touched on the fact that he can put in an exceptional cross mm. and how sort of rare that seems. <laughs> um, I, I think, again, the game moves in spheres and and goes through phases much like fashion and I simply think it's been a case of it's not been a skill that's been taught as consistently and 
you know, I don't think we're the only ones to, to notice it or you're the only one to notice it by any stretch. It's it's something that strikes me most weekends watching uh, the Premier League in MLS is that consistently, not even just fullbacks, wingers, um, players in general, they, they can't seem to put a cross in in the same way they could 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what you have to think or, or try and gauge from it is perhaps it's, it's the emergence really of a much shorter game in terms of passing distance, but then also the way that the ball moves, it tends to move through central areas now. It doesn't go down the side as as much as it used to. And if you look at the most prevalent formation, for the most part, it's usually a front three. And in that, you don't really have traditional wingers. You tend to have an inside forward or an advanced playmaker or someone who really isn't fitting in the mould of let's say David Beckham being perhaps the, the archetypal winger of, of years gone by, you don't have that player, I think, is as consistently in teams now and there's not really seen as a need for them and, and consequently you, you will see things die off like that. It's it's a sort of supply and demand, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Sam, a player that can actually send those incredible uh, whipped crosses is the player we'll talk about next. And he can pretty much do any anything he wants on the pitch when he's on form, and that's Di Maria. Uh, definitely the man of the match today, a goal and an assist, and, and involved in pretty much every attacking uh, move that Argentina produced. Uh, but as Juan Arango, Arango pointed out yesterday, has kind of been missing a little bit for Argentina in, uh, since the World Cup. So uh, to, as someone who watches Argentina very closely, living in Argentina, uh, talk to me about the perception of Di Maria and what you think uh, he brought to the game today. Uh, the perception is is very much divided, I think it's fair to say. There, there are people who absolutely love him and, and to look at the record that he has for the national team, which which in, in terms of sort of uh, brute statistics, if you like, is, is pretty impressive. Um, and there are people who... Uh, are not such fans of the slightly, shall we say, headless chicken sort of manner in which he plays um, at times. And I, I'm kind of somewhere between the two um, schools of thought. I think that Di Maria is is one of the best players in the world and has been yeah. for some time. When he's part of a system that is set up to counterattack, to run into space behind... Um, an opposing team who are who are leaving space in that final third to take advantage, and when essentially when when teammates are able to give in the ball and point up the pitch and go right, Ankel, run that way really fast, <laughs> and then kick it to a teammate or kick it towards the goal. He's fantastic at doing that. Once a slightly more thoughtful game is required, once Argentina get into um, a situation where they're dominating possession against teams, for instance, and Di Maria's getting on the ball and he's not got that space to think because the opponents are already sitting back um, and he, he, he has to... Uh, sorry, he's not got that space to run into because the opponents are sitting back and he has to think a little bit more. Um, he, he can come more in and out of the game and, and, and he can be much flakier. Uh, I think that today was a fine example of, of the former situation because, of course, Chile went for it. Um, they're an attacking team, it has to be said, who have not been as well managed um, by Juan Antonio Pizzi uh, as they were under Jorge Sampaoli, um, who, of course, left shortly after winning the Copa America with them last year. Um, but they're a team who like to go forward and who, who are going to, to leave those spaces for players like Di Maria to exploit. Um, whether he's going to be quite as... I mean, I'm not saying he's necessarily... I'm not, I'm not going to predict an, an outright poor game. He might even he might very well score, given the positions that he's taking up. Um, but whether he's going to be quite as, as effective and quite as completely central to everything that Argentina do that's good against um, uh, Panama and Bolivia, um, we will have to wait and see. And I, I would almost be tempted to, to say the same thing about Argentina's performance as a team more generally. This kind of game that we saw today... Um, a very open game where they've they've got spaces to run into and 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 chances to to attack the opposing box um, is one that very much suits them because of the enormous wealth of attacking talent that they've got. When they yeah. start to to get the the situation where 
to force things a little bit more. Um, that, that's where they sometimes find it a little bit harder. Yeah, that's interesting because if you had told me that uh, the reason Di Maria struggled at United was because of the possession-based system, I would have definitely agreed with you. Uh, yeah, precisely. I mean, that, that's that's yeah. what I thought at the time. I'm I'm actually I'm, I'm a United fan, um, and when Good we man. signed Di Maria, I thought it was a very uh, peculiar signing, given that the club had just announced Louis van Gaal as manager, mm-hmm. given that everybody knows how Louis van Gaal likes to play. Louis van Gaal was making a big show of how he wanted to play, and he wanted players who were who were clever, players who were going to not act on instinct, but who were going to be thinking about what they were doing. Every ball was going to be calculated. Mm-hmm. And then they go out and spend a British record fee on Angel Di Maria. And I remember thinking even at the time, like, really? Him? Right. <laughs> fill that role this this doesn't entirely seem like i mean apparently you have van Gaal's blessing um but it wasn't particularly surprising when it didn't work out and that's yeah. not because i don't think Di maria is a good player he just he was poorly suited to that system yeah well said karthik uh it, it's an interesting thing with Di maria with argentina i mean i could talk about Di maria with united for days but let's talk about Di maria with argentina because for me with my watching of the argentina team in the last three or four years um Maybe this is a bit of a bias because I think he is one of the best players in the world. I think Argentina play best when Di Maria is playing best. And I think Argentina struggle when Di Maria struggled or or injured. I think he plays well in the big games. And I think when he goes missing, uh, for example, the final against Germany when he was injured, I think Argentina struggle. And and I think that was true today too. When when Di Maria plays well, Argentina plays well. Is he that important or am I over-exaggerating here? No, I think he's that important. In fact, I, I've made that case during uh, Calm the Ball World Cup qualifying in 2013 and 2012 that I thought, and with, with our colleague Juan Arango, he and I are on, on a podcast somewhere and probably on the same stream uh, talking about that very issue and how important Di Maria, how critical he was to Argentina in qualifying, how he was uh, and he was a guy very few people were talking about. Sam may have a different perspective on this because maybe in Buenos Aires they were talking about him, but in, in Western Europe and, and here in the United States it's all they about weren't. Messi. It's all about Messi. Uh, right, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. and not and, and it's and Higuain and Aguero and uh Javier Mascherano at uh, Tevez still at the time, but uh, uh uh although Tevez was actually kind of out of the national team right. already by that point. Had but fallen out with uh, Messi at that point. Right. Yeah. yeah, but uh uh Di Maria's further down the pecking order. I would take this a step further and say at Real Madrid in two th- in the thirteen fourteen season, where of course they got La Decima, right? They got their 10th uh, yeah. of, of ch- Champions, uh, Champions League, European Cup slash Champions League trophy, that he was the most influential players in the games they had to win in oh, yeah. Europe. I mean, Ancelotti was said that. more influential than, than, uh, than Ronaldo, Ronaldo was. Yes, yeah, Ancelotti, Ancelotti said that him, himself. Said he that. said that he was that Di Maria was a central part of that, switching him in that central outside uh, central left midfield position when he played that 4-3-3 uh, was the defining factor in why they won the La Decima. So, yeah, I completely agree with you and, there. And in the, um, in the two-leg tie against Bayern where they uh, uh, they just skinned them on the counter, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. it against Bayern? Yeah, I think and, and uh, Di Maria was so critical to that. We remember Ronaldo scoring goals, but it was all of those counterattacking moves began on uh, the left side of midfield when, uh, with uh, Di Maria playing there, which just goes back to the point Sam made. I know maybe we're getting a little far afield from Argentina here, but uh, he was he's that kind of player because he's going to play a possession-based system. Uh, it was an odd signing from the get-go, wasn't it? Yeah. Chris, let's talk about Chile a little bit uh, here. So the thing I noticed most about Chile, especially in the first half, Chris, uh, first of all, shame on you for not laughing at my bachelorette joke. You didn't. That was a no-sell, and I don't appreciate it. So, um, And you'll continue to no-sell, won't you, Chris? Okay, so let's mm-hmm. talk about Chile. Uh, so I felt that in the first half, he, he was uh, – Chile was – trying to get the ball to Alexis Sanchez. And actually, Alexis Sanchez had the beating of Otamendi a couple of times, turned him the wrong way a couple of times, but then had really no one to distribute the ball to uh, and ended up trying to shoot on goal a couple of times where he, he might not have done in other situations. So uh, I don't know if this was a success of Argentina to, to isolate Alexis Sanchez or maybe failure on the part of Chile to not support him enough. I think that's a brilliant question. As it was something that I talked about in the previous, the 
notion of Alexis Sanchez being talismanic for, for Chilean and actually that being a bit of a problem, at least in, in the attack, if, if not kind of universally. And it was something actually I got a lot of criticism for. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the issue I have with, with Alexis sometimes, and it, and it does pertain to this game, is he will carry the ball very well, but he will almost carry it for too long. Now, I think yeah. in fairness, some of the issue with with the situation is he's not blessed with great movement around him. So he'll pick up the ball and uh, in an almost uh, unintentional way, the players will freeze as a consequence. His teammates will freeze. And I noticed this a few times, particularly in the second half. He would pick up the ball and he would either go past uh, Otamendi or he would go past Mascherano or one of the midfielders. And you would be looking for someone, be it Vargas right. or whomever, to, to make that kind of cutting run, be it in behind the fullback or something like that. And it just wasn't ever there. Um, and even when he kind of got it in the box, there wasn't really enough space at that point. You, If he's coming deep like that, which, again, I'm not sure how natural that really is for him. He's, he does it sometimes for Arsenal, but it tends to be when they're struggling. You need someone to be making some intelligent movement off the back of that to to either open up space for him or to open up space and facilitate a, a pass. And that what was that is what was lacking for for me with Chile today. On on top of I think just non-existent defensive midfielders. Yeah, Sam, uh, I'm glad we have you on because I wanted to ask you this question. So on paper. This Argentina team is is a team right out of Football Manager. A team that you know, if I were building a team, I would I would sign a lot of these players. Uh, let's, I mean, perfect example of that is the fact that Sergio Aguero, one of the best strikers in the world, didn't start today. Uh, some of it might be fitness related, but you know, and any other team in the world would have started a half fit Sergio Aguero. That's how good he is. So a messy injury notwithstanding, what do you see are the hurdles that would prevent? this Argentina team from winning the Copa? Well, two things that prevented Argentina from winning, winning last the, year. Well, <laughs> Penalties. From winning the World Cup two years ago, I was going to say. Yeah. Um, and which you touched on, in a way, in asking the question, uh, were, were injury worries. Uh, we've already mentioned Di Maria's mm-hmm. injury during that World Cup. And also, funnily enough, uh, Argentina did play a half-fit Sergio Aguero towards right. the beginning of that good campaign. Point. And it came back to bite them on the arse yeah, because he... Uh, broke down which is something that he's he's been uh, developing something of a habit and wasn't to... Messi also carrying an injury towards the later stages of the World Cup as well he he looked like he wasn't yeah. quite fully fit I, if I remember rightly Messi had had a few weeks out shortly before the end of the season had mm-hmm. come back for the end of the season for Barcelona and, and seemed to be tiring a little bit uh, Higuain um, for the World Cup campaign didn't train until uh, shortly before the, the very the very opening match um, because of an injury that he was carrying uh, from the end of his domestic season as well. Um, so fitness is, is is one thing, particularly given the injury record, if not so much of Messi, because, I mean, he's not really had any serious injuries um, for, for most of his career. And, and more than anything, they're, they're trying to take care of him now and make sure that he, he only plays um, once he's fully fit in, in this tournament. Uh, so not so much for him, but for, for the attackers around him, fitness could be a bit of a, an issue, particularly with... Um, Di Maria and Aguero and after that it's it's the psychology of it um, I mean there are lots and lots of people down here continent uh, um, from what I'm seeing on Twitter but certainly in Buenos Aires um, who aren't looking on this as, as a, a proper uh, let's say canonical Copa America um, which uh, in my opinion is is fair enough it's a it's a, a, a celebration of the Copa America rather than a, a Copa America in and of itself, as it were. Um, but undeniably, it's a chance psychologically for Argentina to end their trophy drought. I mean, if if they win this competition, then the players will be able to say that they have lifted the first major trophy right. um, since the last Copa America they won, which was 1993, uh, which is, you know, a longer time than than a, a country the size of Argentina in footballing terms expects to go. So the, the the two main obstacles that spring to mind are fitness, because you never know what's going to happen. One bad tackle for the wrong player um, could seriously affect their chances, and and the psychology, mm-hmm. um, whether they become their own worst enemies. I think that in psychological terms, I do think that the World Cup final appearance um, in in Brazil 
is going to have helped them enormously. Um, uh, it, it, it seemed to, once they managed to get over that quarterfinal hurdle, um, they they seemed like a, a, a very, very strong team indeed to me then. Um, that was the first time they've gone beyond the quarterfinals since the 1990 um, losing appearance in, in the World Cup final. Um, but obviously the, the very last hurdle now with two finals in as many years in the last two competitions um, is getting very frustrating for them. So the psychology is, is going to be the almost the main thing, I think. Yeah. Karthik, one, one more possibility there is the goalkeeper, right? Sergio Romero uh, played, started the season for Man United when David De Gea had his injury, uh, not injury, sorry, his trans, transfer situation with Real Madrid. The last game he played in the league was uh, end of August where we lost 2-1 to uh, Swansea City. Um, he actually was culpable, culpable for one of those goals. De Gea comes back. United beats Liverpool the following uh, two weekends later, and then De Gea stays in the team. Since then, Romero's played one game when, uh, uh, I think it was an FA Cup or a Carling Cup game, and essentially has come into this tournament as uh, has started this game, and he was culpable for the uh, the goal that Argentina gave up. So that's an area of concern for Argentina. Correct. It was an area of concern, I think, coming into the tournament, and he came off his line, didn't get that uh, claim that ball on on the free kick, and yeah, had and no business coming off of that ball. He had no business. He had no business coming off his line. That having been said, I, I of course have uh, consistently throughout the European club season uh, fingered Bravo as one of the three best goalkeepers in the world. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> who, was who, culpable, who, which right? goal? Yeah, yeah, which goalkeeper do you think was actually more culpable yeah. today? Good point. Uh, so, I mean, you can't always base it on club form coming into international tournaments. Uh, Iguain is the uh, most lethal striker on the European continent uh, who's not playing for a team which scores a boatload of goals like Barcelona and Real Madrid do. That's why I almost put asterisks next to their guys and say I think Iguain had the strongest season of an out-and-out striker in Europe uh, because uh, you qualifiers next to Ronaldo and Messi and Suarez and, and Lewandowski. Uh, and today... He he was missing missing that uh, level of sharpness. It seemed um, that that kind of cutting edge when when he was playing. So sometimes club form doesn't translate, and so I would be concerned that Romero has played uh, so little. Uh, that having been said, he's still training uh, with Manchester United. He was still dressing for every game. It, it's a it's a, a different thing if you're not mentally prepared to play, which is what what happens with third keepers, right? Because they don't dress, they right. never play, and they don't go through the reps for a game. Romero, uh, once Victor Valdez was run off, Romero, it was clear uh, Louis Van Hall had him as, as the number two or the number one until the De Gea thing was sorted. So he had gone through the routine of dressing and prepping and, and, and being on the bench for all these games. So I think that that was... Uh, um, that that's pretty critical when you uh, when you look at his match prep. Is he going to be completely sharp? No, but he's not necessarily uh, the the best keeper either. We didn't uh, expect uh, we we tend to expect that kind of mistake out of him. Whereas with uh, Bravo today, uh, I was surprised in mm-hmm. his reaction and, and and misreading the game in front of him. Quite frankly, Sam, you you had something to say about Romero? Yeah. the The only other thing I wanted to add um, to what Karthik's just said is that this isn't a, a new feeling um, for Sergio Romero either. I mean, he's essentially his entire club career. Has been a backup, um, you're right. Yeah. Pretty much, he's, he's been backup, exactly. With the exception of, remember rightly, a couple of seasons at AZ Alkmaar when he first moved to Europe, under Louis van Gaal, funnily enough. <laughs> um, and then one season uh, for Sampdoria when they were in Serie B. Um, with those exceptions, he's he's been a backup wherever he's gone. I did... After um, United uh, signed him last summer on a free transfer, um, I, I did a, a sort of profile for him uh, of him on um, ESPN um, and looked into the the numbers. And I think at that point he'd something like one quarter of all of his first team appearances in his entire career were for Argentina um, because he actually wow. holds the Argentina record. He, he is Argentina's most capped goalkeeper ever. Um, in spite of being a backup, he's never seriously let down his 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 country. Um, obviously, you know every, every goalkeeper um, is is going to be guilty of of an error from time to time, and and he was uh, to blame for for Chile's goal today. 
there are one or two others. I mean, I can remember a, a World Cup qualifier for the 2014 World Cup away to Paraguay, um, in which he made an absolute howler at one point, and I think he was to blame for the other goal as well. Paraguay scored two, Argentina scored five. Um, he's he's never made a howler in a match that I've seen, which has actually cost Argentina. Um, and of course, in a number of, of, of matches, he, he's essentially a national hero here, thanks to thanks to the 2014 World Cup, especially the semi-final, mm-hmm. um, his, his performance in the in the penalty shootout that got them into the final. Um, so. It, it, he's he's a very weird kind of goalkeeper to pin down because on the one hand you're completely correct that it, it it's totally illogical um, if you're the manager of of one of the biggest um, national football teams in the world the the current top ranked side by FIFA on the planet to be playing a guy in goal who doesn't get any games um, and yet somehow it seems to work out all right for him. Um, and his mental fortitude is, is absolutely part of that as well. And also Alejandro Sabella used to make the point when he was managing Argentina um, that Romero is is a very, very strong part of the group. Um, Lionel Messi gets on very, very well with him. He gets on very, very well with, with all of the other players as well. Um, and Sabella prized that, and obviously Martino prizes that as well, because if you have a, a group of people who are very together, in a tournament atmosphere that's arguably as important as having a good goalkeeper yeah good point Chris let's get into previews let's preview the Colombia Paraguay game really quickly so we can talk about the USA Costa Rica game um, Chris let's start with the fact that first of all well let's let's contextualize this because Rodriguez's status is still unknown uh, probably Moreno would probably start in front of him but at the end of the day at the end of the day it's really going to be Juan Cuadrado who's going to be the out ball so that will be the area that Paraguay will be looking to nullify. Mm, they, they will, you're right, because he has, I think, seniority, has pedigree to his name. I think, in, in many ways, Malos Moreno is someone I kind of tipped to be a potential breakout for this tournament because I think he has a, a lot of the right attributes to succeed. And <clears throat> reading kind of background stuff on him, the, the general consensus in Colombia is that he will leave soon. And he will likely head to Liverpool of all places. I, I think this is a good opportunity for him to to show that he can handle that step up. Because, I mean, as you said there in the question, he won't be expected to perform, but he will be expected to contribute something. I think, and I think that's the right level of pressure for a man his age. In terms of, of Paraguay, on, on the contrast of that, I'll be very surprised if they don't start Sanabria. Um, he's a very talented forward. He's someone who I've talked um, with to, to David Cartledge, who, as well as being a Gijon fan, is, is a wonderfully talented uh, Spanish football journalist. And, and he does really kind of rave about him. And he's not someone to, to uh, you know, blow wind up someone who's not worth it. So I'll, I'll be very surprised if they don't go for him. I mean, he, he took the place of Rocky Santa Cruz in the squad, which... Is, is fitting when you consider he made his debut by replacing Santa Cruz in a, a friendly against Germany. I, I think the time is is now to, to unleash him, so to speak. Uh, um, because watching the Costa Rica game is as wonderful as Costa Rica were in defence. I, I didn't really feel as if Paraguay were ever likely to score, personally. So mm. hopefully we'll, we'll see some goals in, in that game, at least, because I think uh, a nice early one will, will set the tone and, and give us an entertaining game, if nothing else. Sam, for Paraguay, Jorge Benitez will have to be more clinical than than he was in that draw against Costa Rica in order for them to get anything out of this game. Yeah, he will. Um, as will, in fact, Paraguay's other um, players because it wasn't a particularly... Uh, <laughs> what, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't a particularly um, dignified match for going forward um, on either team. Um, I think that it's going to be a very, very tight game again from Paraguay's point of view. But also, of course, I, I, I guess one of the um, interesting things about both of these matches um, coming up in Group A is that the openers were both in this group, CONCACAF against CONMEBOL. And now we've got two, one, uh, sorry, one all CONCACAF tie and one all CONMEBOL tie, um, which means that both matches are going to be between teams who know each other a lot better right. than the teams that they've That's just played. That's a good point, yeah. Um, and so although obviously Colombia have, have got the more obvious um, star quality, 
uh, although Paraguay have, have, have got some talent as well. Um, Colombia have, per, have perhaps got the, the, the bigger star draw and, 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 and the more obvious attacking quality. Um, but Paraguay know how to break them down. Um, I already, I, I think I'm right in saying, sang Ramon Diaz's praises as, as the Paraguay manager on my previous appearance on this podcast. He's a very mm-hmm. canny boss. Um, and as a result, I, I don't think that it's, I mean, I think that Colombia are going to, going to be favourites probably, but not by um, a landslide, let's say. Par- Paraguay can can dig in and make it very awkward for them. Yeah. Karthik, let's talk about USA-Costa Rica now. Uh, it's a must-win game for the US men's national team. Uh, we've spent at least a little bit of time on every single podcast uh, really talking about the US men's national team. And uh, let's start where we left off the conversation yesterday with Juan uh, and where we are talking about tactical shifts uh, with Juan and Robert. And you, you, do you expect Nogby to start tomorrow? Uh, do you expect them to go to a 4-4-2? What are you hoping? No, or, I, uh, yeah, well, what am I hoping for or what am I expecting? Because uh, I'm expecting yeah. Clint Smith to be stubborn, uh, having publicly declared that the, that uh, only two moments in the match separated the United States and Colombia, and somehow this was an even match, maybe tilted toward the U.S., uh, 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 if you take those two moments out, and the 4-3-3 that he, he set up uh, the team very awkwardly and worked. Uh, again, I, I don't think uh, U.S. manager and, and, and Jeff Cameron, the player who came out and made similar comments, were watching the same game as the rest of us. I think Colombia was very comfortable in this match, as we talk, we've talked about repeatedly on this show. Yeah. However, if that's their narrative, and, and Klinsman, is, Klinsman is a narrative-based manager. He's not a manager who's based on getting results. He's not a manager who's based on... Uh, uh, on uh, on setting up his team uh, in in a way in a proactive way uh, to either take the game to the opposition or to to sit back and absorb pressure and hit teams on the counter, which is what the U.S. did at times during the Bob Bradley era. Uh, he's a manager that that bases a lot of his player selection and team selection on. Um, for lack of a better word, passing the buck. So, um, <laughs> continuing with the four three three fits his narrative. He's trying to play attractive, uh, open uh, football in this uh, tournament that the United States is hosting. And uh, unfortunately, uh, one thing or another will will lead to uh, uh, a couple individual errors or or, uh, that the players aren't fit enough or or, uh, the the domestic league isn't producing good enough players for him. Or, yeah, uh, there'll there'll be some uh, laundry list of excuses, so some litany of excuses for him because he's great at that. And he's great at getting uh, at least half the media in this this, uh, country who covers the sport to uh, buy into it. I think there's some of us who are very skeptical. I know – Chris has covered the national team very closely and and, uh, and has been skeptical and has asked kind of questions that some of his colleagues, some of my colleagues, don't ask. But um, I expect him to set up in that 4-3-3 again. I think you're probably going to see the same first 11. Now, if I were looking to make a change, I would uh, kind of admit that even though he played very well for Big Sam at the end of the season, and that was after a season of Big Sam or he took over from Dick Advocat in October. Uh, a while of, of Sam uh, trying to use uh, uh, other players, Billy Jones at, at, at right back, signing a buoy, and then uh, uh, there was a ban on a buoy because of uh, uh, agent payments, a uh, uh, year ban, so he couldn't play right back. That DeAndre Yedlin uh, fi- kind of finally learn how to play defensively in a way Sam Allardyce would want you to. However, um, that's still a small sample size of games. We saw the DeAndre Yedlin uh, again on Friday, which you don't like to see it right back. So I think if there's one change maybe Klinsman makes, he, he might move Fabian Johnson to right back, play Matt Beasler at left back. Hmm. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think he's going to make a change. Uh, I don't think he's going to start Nagby. I don't think he's going to start. What, P- what about Castillo at left back? That's something right, I've been reading play Castillo about. at left back. Yeah. He could play Castillo at left back, uh, but I don't think he's going to play uh, Pulisic and Nagby from the start, even though that's what everybody wants to see. Because here's another thing about Klinsman and narratives. Klinsman never wants to admit that the peanut gallery of U.S. men's national team fans, the critics, that is, and, 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 the, and the media that are skeptical and say certain players should start. Uh, guys like Leander Sherlackens, who's been a critical, a, a, very, a very strong critic of Klinsman, he never wants to give in to those journalists or those high-profile fans 
demands. So he, he might uh, hold this against Nagby and Pulisic. And there are very few managers uh, in international football at, at major football playing nations that are this stubborn about things like that. So uh, I wouldn't expect to see those guys start. Hmm. Chris, uh, talk to me about that four three three. I I can't help but wonder if, uh, in spite of his limitations, uh, Beckerman might be able to bring out the best of Bradley because what we saw in Colombia is as soon as you shut down Bradley, uh, it's easy to nullify this U.S. men's national team game. And if Bradley is stuck in those deeper positions, now you're in a situation where the ball is being turned over in deeper positions. So having Beckerman as the traditional water carrier might allow Bradley to be in a slightly more advanced position and pull the strings. I, I think I, I feel what you need to try and do within the United States midfield three is realistically you need to look at Portland as the blueprint and say that Nagby coincidentally fits the Nagby role. Bradley plays the role of Valeri, and then you essentially need a Diego Chara of sorts. Yeah. Who who that player is is so difficult to say. I personally, it's not Kyle Beckerman. Let me put that out there to begin with. It might I be Jermaine think Jones. Actually, Kyle Beckerman is is someone that. Possibly, I, I think the the concern I have with with Jermaine Jones is he looked all of his age the other day against Colombia. Um, I, I just think again, Chara has legs. Definitely, there's a lot more to his game than just legs, though. And I think that's the blueprint you need to to be looking at instead of saying let's put Kyle Beckerman in there, who's a very limited player. I think in in what he gives you just to facilitate Bradley moving further forward. I think. That is slightly one of the issues the U.S. has at the minute. It's it's a little bit too talismanic with Bradley. It's it's all about making him work. Otherwise, the team doesn't work. Um, and it's a similar thing with Dempsey in the attack. You've got to play Dempsey. You've got to get him involved or the attack is useless. Actually, by putting him in a central position and feeding into him so much, you really did kind of negate the influence of Bobby Wood and Jassy Zardes because you shunted them out wide when realistically Wood in particular is never going to be of great use when he's out wide. He needs to be central. He needs to, to be able to run that main channel through the middle so he can cause some, some damage with his pace. I just think the changes that are actually needed um, by Jurgen Klinsmann are not changes he's likely to make. It's a shame that someone like Kellen Acosta um, missed out on the squad or, or even Danny Williams I, I think I'd have been very curious to see either of them um, come in and, and potentially offer something in there um, if that's actually a possibility Yeah, and Chris uh, to follow up on that point I think there was some thought that Acosta was actually going to be in this team playing uh, that Chara role if you want if you want to call it that uh, for this tournament and I, I think Klinsman got soured by his uh, Acosta's performance with the U- U23 team in Olympic qualifying and, and opted not, although he did bring Perry Kitchen in, who was also on that team. Um, I don't think Kitchen is dynamic enough to play that role. So that's a, that's a good point. Just for those who don't aren't aware of this, uh, Darlington Nagby actually plays centrally now for Portland in that three-man midfield that Chris is describing. He was playing out wide until, uh, what, Chris, about maybe uh, July or August of last year, and uh, – Manager Caleb Porter moved him centrally, had that three-man midfield, and it's it's dynamic. It works very, very well. Sam, about the Costa Rica perspective, uh, they're going to they're gonna have Kendall Watson missing uh, because of the suspension, and I think that that's uh, going to be a player that their defensive line will miss and the team will miss as well because they rely pretty heavily on him as one of the leaders of that team. Yeah, absolutely. Um it, it, they're, they're going to need to, as well as filling in for him, also going forward, as I said, this is similar to, to, to Paraguay, really, need mm-hmm. to be a lot more clinical up front. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Watson was uh, was was fine in, in, in central defence um, against Paraguay. And I honestly don't know um, enough about the Costa Rican squad to know who's going to be coming in to replace him. But it, judging from the um, the opening day's performance, they, they're going to be big boots to fill. Yeah, absolutely. And there will uh, obviously Joel Campbell will be one of the players that the U.S. Men's National Team will be looking to nullify. Um, so, gentlemen, uh, by the way, Karthik, I'm going to let you have a score prediction with this one because this is close to your heart. 
Yeah, I think 1-1 one, one is, is is the most logical score prediction. Mm-hmm. I, I think that probably would have been the score in the uh, game, the qualifier in 2013 between these two teams had it not been played under uh, in a blizzard, and the U.S. Uh, got an important three points that day. I think they're very evenly matched. Uh, I agree with Sam. Uh, Watson being out of the team is a very uh, a, a very tough break for Costa Rica. Uh, uh, maybe, again, it's it's players you're familiar with. I, I watch Watson week in and week out in MLS and think he's one, one of the better central defenders in the league and has done very well uh, at the national team uh, level. But there are um, real issues for the United States in, in marking Costa Rica's players going forward. We saw that in, uh, in, in the qualifier in San Jose in 2013. We saw that again in a friendly last October where um, any amount of space is given to Campbell, Joel Campbell and Salvario, uh, Brian Ruiz. Brian Ruiz actually had a great game against the United States in 2009 on U.S. soil, uh, where he scored twice very early, and that was the f- uh, famous game or infamous in Costa Rica, where uh, Jonathan Bornstein got the late goal, and, and Honduras uh, qualified directly for the World Cup instead of Costa Rica. But uh, two evenly matched teams. Uh, Costa Rica still talks about the 2013 uh, game in, in uh, that qualifier in the blizzard, and they, they feel like they, the U.S. owes them one. So uh, they might nick a point here and uh, put themselves in a position where if they can get something against Colombia the final match day, they can, they can advance. Uh, for the U.S., that will make uh, the Paraguay match a must-win. All right. Tomorrow, we'll, we'll be back with Juan Arango, my good friend Gabe Smith, and, and the debut of Cesar Hernandez on the, the podcast uh, to review this, these two games that we dis- just discussed, as well as preview the Brazil-Haiti and the Ecuador-Peru game. So make sure you join us then. Until then, on behalf of everyone here at World Soccer Talk and the Eurocopa podcast, Kristen Hennarge, Sam Kelly, and myself, Nipun Chopra. Karthik? Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.